0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to The Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, returning to bring another chilling tale for your creepy evening pleasure. It's now Thanksgiving time. In fact, this is the week of Thanksgiving as I'm coming to you on this recording a bit of an update on what's going on with me here. My newest book, Crimson, the Blood Painting, is being turned into an audio book, which should be available by Christmas time on Aud- on Audible, iTunes, or anywhere else, Amazon, anywhere else you might want to buy your audio books from. The wonderful Lynn R. Thomas is narrating the book and is doing a wonderful job, so be sure to check that out when it becomes available it- Especially if you like to listen to audiobooks on those long drives. When you have a long drive to vacation or business or wherever. Or if you're on the plane or anywhere else and need something to pass the time. Audiobooks are a great way to do that. So be sure to check that out. Also, this episode will be my uh, last episode of the year, possibly. Because I'm going to be doing my own audiobook. My short story collection, The Legend of Indian Narrows. I'm going to be recording the stories and transferring that into an audiobook, so it will take quite a few weeks to do that, maybe several weeks. I will try to come back, maybe do an episode for Christmas time, so please don't be discouraged. I will return, but I just need a little time to work on this audiobook. And uh, once it's out, I'll be sure to let you know so you can go out and check that out. You can listen to me tell ghost stories on audiobook. Stories from my old neighborhood where I grew up. So be sure to check that out. Well, since this is Thanksgiving week, I decided to do a nice family ghost story for our episode. In a case we don't get to come back and do an episode before Christmas, this is also a great lead out episode lead out story but hopefully i'll come back for christmas and do one more episode before the year is out so stay tuned please don't leave me please don't be discouraged i will return <laughs> all right so let's get on with our story for this episode this story comes from right here in alabama in a place called renfro so it's right here in my home state uh, the story has been published before by Katherine Tucker Windham, and it's my honor to share the story. It's one of my favorite ones, it's quite eerie yet really touches your heart. It's a story called The Locket. The Locket. None of his descendants now knows why Jacob Hammer left his native Indiana and moved to Alabama. They do know from records and family bibles that Jacob Hammer was living in Talladega County when he married Martha Louisa Hicks of Renfro on December 1, 1887. He was 34 at the time of their marriage and his bride was only 21. Mr. Hammer had taught school and had been engaged in merchandising in in Indiana, and family tradition says he taught school, ran a store, and farmed after he came to Alabama. In the first six years of their marriage, five children were born to the couple. Their names were Cassandra, William Benjamin, Emma Everett, Diana, and Dixie Homer. Some of the children's names, family members point out, reflect Mr. Hammer's interest in Greek and Roman mythology. He was interested in many things. He wanted to call his first child by her full name, Cassandra, but his wife, who cared little for the classics, insisted on calling her Cassie, and Cassie she became. Cassie was nine years old when her baby brother Harvey was born. She was a big girl then, old enough and responsible enough to take over much of the care of the new baby. Being the oldest in the family, and being a girl, Cassie at nine years old knew how to cook. Clean house, wash clothes, iron, milk the cow, kill and dress a chicken, sew, mend and darn, and take care of the younger children. What a busy little girl she was. They were living in the community of Stimley near the Coosa River in Talladega County, Alabama. All the children from Cassie to Harvey were born there. But the town was now dwindled into nothingness, and only a few older people remember where it was. Cassie Hammer was likely too busy helping her mother care for the younger children, especially the baby, to have much time to play. But she really didn't mind. There was something different about taking care of Harvey, something that soothed her resentment over having the responsibilities of a grown-up forced so early upon her. Harvey was a good baby, and he was very beautiful. Look, Mama, Cassie would say after she had bathed and dressed him. Look how beautiful Harvey is. I wish I had curly hair like he has. Look how it shines in the sunlight. "'and look how big his eyes are. "'Sometimes I think he sees things that we can't see. "'What do you suppose he sees, Mama?' "'Mrs. Hammer, being a sensible woman, replied, oh, "'Don't be silly, Cassie. "'He sees just what we see, nothing more.' "'She paused. "'But he is a beautiful baby. "'I wish I could have his picture.' made looking just the way he looks now, all clean and shining and happy. She took the baby in her arms and kissed him. It was not easy for Mrs. Hammer to show affection. It wasn't in her nature. But Harvey had a quality, an elusive quality that even his mother couldn't define. That called her to hug him and cuddle him and call him My Precious Baby. Everybody loved Harvey. They loved him not merely because he was the youngest in the family, but because Harvey himself was so loving. His arms went out any time anyone came near. His smile had a radiance of pure joy, and his laughter was as musical and refreshing as snatches of dancing tunes. Even Jacob Hammer, usually too busy earning a living for his growing family to squander time in play, would bounce his baby on his knee and sing to him some half-forgotten songs from his Indiana boyhood, and talk to him about matters only the two of them understood. "'You know what?' Jacob asked his wife this son of ours will grow up to see flying machines carrying passengers and mail from city to city, and he'll ride on wide thoroughfares connecting the cities. Big changes are coming in this world, and Harvey will be part of them. "'Oh, Jacob,' Mrs. Hammer replied, "'what a wild imagination you have. How do you ever think of such foolish things?' ''They're not foolish,'' Jacob stated firmly. ''They'll come true. You'll see. If you live long enough, Harvey believes what I'm telling you. Don't you, Harvey?'' The baby smiled, and his eyes shone as though he did indeed understand, as though he shared with his father an exciting look into the future. Harvey was walking and beginning to talk a little when the family moved to Renfro, a community some six miles west of Talladega. At that time, Mr. Hammer was devoting most of his energies to farming. Cassie continued to be Harvey's loving protector, and the toddler adored her. Mrs. Hammer may have been a little jealous, but she tried not to show it. "'I hope your own babies will love you as much as Harvey does,' she said to Cassie one day. "'He loves you too, Mama,' Cassie replied. "'He loves everybody, but you most of all. "'Sometimes I think it's not me but my gold locket that Harvey loves. "'He plays with it every time I wear it, and I believe he wants to wear it himself.' Cassie's locket, her only piece of jewelry, had been a gift from her father. It was heart-shaped and hung on a slender gold chain. "'It looks like you,' Jacob Hammer had said as he fastened it around her neck. "'It looks like my Cassandra.' Even then, Harvey reached out to get the shining locket. "'No, Harvey,' Cassie said gently. Boys don't wear lockets. This is mine. Maybe someday I'll let you try it on, but not now. One stormy night in September 1898, Cassie woke up and heard Harvey crying in her parents' bedroom. She ran across the hall and found her mother holding Harvey in her lap while Mr. Hammer rubbed the little boy's chest with melted tallow and wrapped a flannel cloth around him. It's the croup, Mistress Hammer told Cassie. He's real sick. She held the baby close and rocked him. Harvey was limp and listless, and his breathing was raspy. What can I do? "'Cassie asked. "'Nothing,' Mrs. Hammer replied. "'We've done all we can. "'Now we will just have to wait.' "'Just as daylight marked the end of the long night, "'Harvey Hammer died. "'He was only twenty months old. "'When word of the child's death spread through the community,' The neighbors came, as they always came in the rural South. They were silent with grief, some of them, while others tried to speak comfortingly about understanding some day and God's will. Jacob Hammer did not believe it was God's will for Harvey to die. Neither did Cassie. The younger children walked around the house big-eyed and frightened until an aunt came to take them home with her. Missus Hammer's grief was too deep for tears. My baby, my precious baby, she kept repeating. He's dead, and we don't even have a picture of him. We never had a picture made of our precious Harvey. Mr. Hammer, hoping to ease his wife's sorrow, promised, we'll send in to Talladega and get the photographer to come out and take Harvey's picture in his coffin. Then you, all of us, will have his picture to remember him by. Outside, a cold, slashing rain seemed almost an extension of the gloominess of the household men who lived nearby fashioned a small coffin from pine boards, and the women padded it with cotton and lined it with soft white cloth. Those same neighbor women made a little dress for Harvey to be buried in. It was white, as befitted a burial garment for a pure child, and it had a wide ruffled lace-trimmed collar. When they put the garment on him, the neck was too big making the collar hang low on his pale shoulders. "'That will be all right,' one of the women said. "'When we put him in the coffin, we'll just pull the collar in place and tuck the extra fullness under him.' And they did. After Harvey's body was placed in the coffin, and after the seamstresses had pulled up the collar and tucked it beneath him, nobody could tell the neck was too large.' He looks so peaceful, the people said, just like he was asleep. Come, look at your little brother, Cassie, they said. Cassie looked. She knew the women were expecting her to say something, but she couldn't make any words come. She stood there silent for a long time, just looking at Harvey and wondering what it was like to be dead. Then, very slowly, she took off her heart-shaped locket and fastened it around Harvey's neck. The rain never slacked outside. Finally, word came that the roads between Talladega and Renfro were impassable, so the photographer couldn't come. Harvey Hammer was buried without ever having had his picture made. His mother continued to grieve, as did other members of the family, and she continued to weep over having no picture of her little boy. If only I had his picture to look at, to remember him by, she moaned. A few weeks after Harvey's death, Mr. Hammer set out to clear a parcel of land some distance from his house. The land was too far away for him to go, and come from home each day, so he made arrangements to camp in an abandoned one-room schoolhouse near the property. The building had a pot-bellied stove in it that he could use for heat and for cooking. So Mr. Hammer took a cot to sleep on, blankets, some food, and moved into the schoolhouse. The first night there he was tired from the move and from the strenuous labor of clearing the land, and he fell asleep soon after he had eaten supper. He had been asleep for some time when he was awakened by a brilliant light. He first thought that the building was on fire, and he jumped up to run outside, but as soon as he was fully awake, He realized that the building was not on fire. The light came from a corner of the room. In the corner was his little baby boy, Harvey, holding a burning candle. Jacob Hammer walked toward the figure and reached out toward him. As he did, the child blew out the candle and vanished there was no more sleep for Jacob Hammer that night. Questions crowded in upon him. Had he really seen his son, or was his grief conjuring up cruel visions? Could Harvey have returned from the dead, and if so, why? The daylight brought no answers, and the questions haunted him all the next day as he worked in his field. That second night, the same thing happened. He was awakened by a flash of light and saw Harvey holding a flickering candle in the corner of the room. Once again, Jacob Hammer approached the child, and once again the child blew out the candle and vanished. As Jacob lay awake and tried to answer the questions that trampled through his mind, a new thought came to him. Was it possible, he wondered, that Harvey's spirit was so disturbed by his mother's yearning for a picture of him that he had come back so that such a picture could be made? The more he thought about it, the more he became convinced of the logic of his theory. So when daylight came, instead of going to his field, Jacob Hammer went into Talladega to borrow a camera from W. H. McMillan, a photographer there. He did not tell Mr. McMillan why he wanted to use the camera. He would have felt foolish saying that he intended to try to photograph a ghost, so he simply implied that he needed a picture of a landmark on his property, and he promised to return the camera early the next morning. Mr. McMillan let him borrow one of the cumbersome old cameras with a tripod, and he showed him how to use it. Be careful with the glass negative, he warned. They break right easy. Jacob Hammer took the equipment back to the school building and set it up beside his cot, focusing it on the corner where he had seen the apparition on the two previous nights. He did not go to sleep that night. Instead, he sat on the side of the cot and waited. Hours passed. Nothing happened. Mr. Hammer was beginning to wonder if he had imagined the whole thing when suddenly a bright light filled the room and he saw Harvey in the far corner. He snapped the shutter of the camera and the figure disappeared. Mr. Hammer dozed fitfully until daylight came. Then he went to Talladega to return the camera and to have the glass plate developed. Once again he wondered what he should tell the photographer, and once again he decided to tell him nothing. After he had thanked the man for the use of the camera, he asked, "Will you please develop the plate? I took only one picture, but I would very much like to see it. Jacob waited, a very restless wait, until Mr. MacNillan came out of the dark room. He was holding the glass negative, still wet, up to the light. Jacob, he said, I thought you did not have a picture of your little boy, the one who died. We don't have, Jacob Hammer replied. Yes, you do. This is him, Harvey, right here. Look. Jacob looked, and on the negative was the exact likeness of Harvey Hammer blonde curls, big eyes, wistful smile framed in a strange aura of light. Jacob Hammer was unable to speak. He took the negative from the hands of the puzzled photographer and hastened home. ''Martha! Martha!'' he shouted as he ran into the house. ''Look!'' He held the glass negative up to the light. Martha Hammer looked and burst into sobs. ''It's Harvey. It's my baby's picture!'' Cassie and the other children came running to see what had happened. It's Harvey, they said. Harvey, just like he looked. And look, Cassie said. Look how his dress has fallen around his shoulders. And look around his neck. That is my heart-shaped locket, the one I put on him. After the family had seen the negative with the likeness of Harvey on it, and after he had told the story of how he had made the picture, Jacob Hammer took the glass plate back to the photographer in Talladega to have prints made from it. Three of those prints made in the fall of 1898 still exist. Each one, though faded by time, shows quite distinctly the head and shoulders of a beautiful blonde child with wondering eyes that seem to peer into another world. The lace-trimmed collar of his white garment has slipped down around his shoulders, and round his neck hangs a gold, heart-shaped locket, the same locket which he was buried with so long ago. And that is my f- story tonight, The Locket, a beautiful family ghost story. If you check out Catherine Tucker Wyndham's book, it's called Jeffrey's Latest, Thirteen More Alabama Ghosts, you too can see the picture that has been taken of the ghost of Harvey. There is a copy of the photograph printed in that book. And I've got to tell you, it's very eerie and makes me wonder. 1898, they didn't have a lot of ways to manipulate photography like we do today with our digital cameras and cell phones and internet. So it does make me wonder about this story. Perhaps it is true that the little ghost really did appear to have his picture taken for the sake of his mama and her grief. Alabama is loaded with all kinds of amazing ghost stories. And I do hope to share more of those with you in the coming year. Again, I do hope to come back at least once before Christmas to share a Christmas ghost story or two. But if I can't, because I'm working on my audiobook, I do apologize and ask that you please bear with me and stay tuned because I will return. You have not heard the last of the haunted Collection. So until then, stay safe, have a happy holiday season, and by all means, happy haunting!